And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Red alert. All hands to battle stations. Engage. Captain Picard is a pain, isn't he? Interesting. No redeeming qualities. I think you should be destroyed. The great Captain Picard of Starfleet falls to Earth. Go back. Thou shalt most certainly die. Protect yourself, Captain, within destroying. We are dangerous. What can I offer except myself? Can we just get down to it, please? Get us out of orbit! One minute to auto-destruct. No! Welcome to Star Trek Monthly Monday. It's the Next Generation Edition. We are up to episode number 45. I'm Chris Honeywell. I'm here with Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? And, as I just said, we are about to do two more. The next two, uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. I I believe it's uh, episodes, what is it, 13 and 14? I don't or 14 and 15? Know. Let me look at my notes. 14 and 15 of the Next Generation second season. Sweet. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, see? All right. So, let's see. Oh, that reminds me. I do have a little bit of preamble. Actually, it's not a little bit of preamble. It's awesome preamble. Now, if you listen to Star Wars Monthly Monday, and come on, why the hell wouldn't you? You'll know that uh, that I gushed quite a bit about uh, a recent uh, thing that I got in the mail, a, an early Christmas present that I got from my uh, my good buddy Andrew Leyland of the uh, ever-excellent Hey Kids Comics podcast. He sent me some comics in the mail, and I gushed and, and was all over the, uh, the Star Wars UK issues that he sent me. There was actually one other thing in there that I'm ashamed to admit that I only ever gave it kind of a, a of a cursory once over because I thought I knew what it was. I thought that I either own, owned it or had owned it at one point. So I, won't, I don't want to say I was dismissive of it, but uh, I was a little bit dismissive of it. Only because, only because I thought this was something I already owned. This is Star Trek, it's simply just called Star Trek Winter Special. 
and the cover on it's really awesome. It's uh, Kirk and Spock, you know, movie era Kirk and Spock from Star Trek II. It's got Khan's face, kind of like misty, cloudy, almost look like a ghost or something in the background. It's got the Enterprise on it. I thought that this was some sort of like UK version of like the poster magazine or, or the official magazine for Star Trek II. And I was dead wrong. I opened this thing up. And this is, I'm not sure exactly what issues of the series this is. I should have looked this up. But this is one of the first stories right after Star Trek The Motion Picture. This is from Marvel. And it's reprinting the story called The Haunting of Thalus or Thalus. And it's drawn by, uh, it's written by Marv Wolfman, art by uh, Dave Cockrum and Klaus Jansen. Now, as I recall, the story wasn't half bad. You know, I'm not a fan of the of the Marvel Star Trek series. If, if you've listened long enough to uh, Star Trek Monthly Monday, you'll know that I reviewed those quite a, while, uh, quite a while back, and I didn't really have positive things to say about them. However, I remember this storyline being pretty decent, but the really awesome thing about this is that not only is it reprinted in a huge format, I mean, this is even bigger than the Star, the Star Wars UK books, it's even bigger than that. It's like it's like true magazine size. It's in stark black and white, which is just gorgeous. Really makes the art stand out. But this is that story where the Enterprise is flying along through space. And this is the, again, this is Star Trek, the motion picture era Enterprise. So this is my favorite era of Star Trek. You know, the Enterprise is the movie Enterprise. All the uniforms are from Star Trek, the motion picture. You know, it's, it's that whole era. This is the one where they're flying along through space and they come across literally a haunted mansion floating out in the middle of space now i just did my haunted mansion episode and i hope you guys listened to and enjoyed and i just I, I opened it up and the very first page of the comic is literally the enterprise like holding station right outside the haunted mansion and i was just like oh this is awesome so i mean there's no way that andy could have, uh, have planned this or synced this up but it just you know just through life and happenstance it just syncs up perfectly i was so excited about this, this is awesome it turns out to be some completely ridiculous plot to do with the Klingons or something, but it's just, it's a lot of fun. I really got a kick out of this, and I, I really wanted to say to Andy, thank you so much for throwing this in there, because uh, I, I got the biggest kick out of this. Plus, you know, for something that has Star Trek II so prominently on the cover of it, everything inside here is devoted to Star Trek the motion picture. There's, there's pinups... There's a poster, there's uh, little diagrams. Everything in here is motion picture, you know, first movie era. I love this. It's really, really nice. I mean, honestly, the only thing that's in here that's Wrath of Khan at all is uh, half of the poster is shots from uh, Wrath of Khan, but everything else is from the motion picture. So I just thought this was really, really cool. And uh, I'm I'm becoming quite enamored of uh, of UK you know Marvel UK stuff reprinting from this era because I just I love the oversized format and and I really dig the black and white it's this is really really cool so again thank you so much um, I'll be posting a, a scan or maybe a few scans from this at least the cover anyway because I've already scanned the cover but uh, I might scan just that first page so people can see how awesome it looks I just love this shot of the Enterprise sitting out in space and there's this space haunted mansion just floating out there in front of it I, it's just a great picture it's really really cool but uh that's all i got for preamble stuff 
the sequel to Cat, the unofficial sequel to Cat's Paw. You know, it just hit me that that was actually supposed to go in, in, the, in the TOS edition, wasn't it? If yeah, you, you just edit, couldn't wait. If you, you want to edit wait. that out and, and throw it into that show instead, I'm I'm perfectly fine with that because I was I was I totally forgot that we're. Uh, That's after, all Star Trek. Yeah. All right, so are we ready to? Do you have anything Star Trek ish nah, to go? Not really. Oh, I just completely lost my pace. Oh, there we go. Don't you hate it when a book snaps shut on you and then yep. you're like, yeah, I don't know where my place was in this. All right, so I have an announcement to make. You know, one of my least favorite things when uh, when I was a manager in any job is when you have to perform that unpleasant task of letting somebody go. It's particularly hard when, uh, you know, times being what they are and people, you know, they have they have mouths to feed and things I like know. that. I know, and especially when you think of what happened when we let uh, um, Orca stay free go. Yeah. She went downhill fast. But, you know, on the flip side, when someone, you know, I hate to be harsh, but when someone just deserves to be let go because, frankly, they just done a shitty job. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. Yeah, it, it it may it's never really easy, but you it's, trying to it's tell me something. Bit, no, not you, not yet. Okay. Um, in this case, um, we're we're bidding farewell this issue. I, I have to give the pink slip to Larry Nemesek because I'm just sick and goddamn tired of his shitty. You're gonna shitty give him stuff. the Nemesek? <laughs> He's getting Nemesek. His shitty synopses in the Star Trek The Next Generation Companion. I've had it up to here, and it occurs to me... Kick him right in the nemesack. (laughs) It occurs to me that I don't know why I never thought of this before, but there are actually synopses for every single episode in the nitpickers guides. And I actually really get a kick out of these. If you guys are Star Trek fans and you've never checked out uh, Phil uh, Farron's nitpickers guides for Star Trek and Star Trek The Next Generation. I think there might even be one out there for DS9. I'm not sure. That one I don't own. They're awesome. But they are. They are a riot. He, They're he, a great bathroom book. Yes, they are. are. They are absolutely hysterical. And uh, and I was flipping through these just looking at what he had to say about the episodes that we're going to be talking about tonight. And it occurred to me that, duh, there's synopses in here. Why did I never think to to just go with his? So I'm going to try this out and we'll, we'll see how we, uh, how we like it this time around. So first episode we're going to cover is the Icarus factor next time on star Trek: the next generation today. I am a warrior. Lieutenant Worf takes part in a savage Klingon ritual. <laughs> Commander Riker faces a vicious feud with his father. We could clear the air once and for all. You're on. Each one confronts a do-or-die test of courage. This fight is all we have left. On Star Trek, The Next Generation. Okay, so in this episode, Worf reaches the 10th anniversary... uh, uh, Anniversary? Can't talk tonight. The 10th anniversary of his Age of Ascension. Since there are no Klingons on board, Wesley stages an Ascension ritual on the holodeck and invites several of the crew to participate. At the same time, Starfleet offers Riker his own command aboard the USS Ares. When his father boards the Enterprise to brief him, it becomes obvious the relationship is very strange. Fifteen, uh, strained rather. 
15 years ago, Kyle Riker left Will Riker to fend for himself. Hmm, that's not quite true. Will Riker still holds that against his father. They finally work out their differences after an extended uh, martial arts battle using blindfolds and large sticks. This must be the 24th century version of the male bonding ritual called a tr uh, using a truth stick. I don't have any idea what he's referring to here. After Riker decides against the promotion, the Enterprise leaves for its next mission. You know, I, I, I was going to take exception with what it says here about Kyle Riker leaving Will to fend for himself because I was going to say that, well, no, what Will walked away and Will said, you know, he made a big point in this episode about Will said that he has been on his own since he was 15. I, I guess what they're getting at, though, is I think Will felt like after the death, death of his mother that his father just wasn't there for him or something like that. Uh -huh. I think that's what they're actually getting at with this, but... um. I'm dying to know, sir, what you thought of this, one of my favorite episodes. Oh, I liked it a lot. This is a classic Next Generation episode. No real big, um, there's no big um, disaster or, <laughs> or drama, really. It's all just sort of, I think they could have jettisoned the whole B-plot with Worf's um, ascension yeah. ceremony. I think that was just filler. Because I think the story with Riker and his dad was way more interesting, you know, because you get to meet Riker's dad, who basically turns out to be some sort of genetic hybrid of, like, Charlton Heston and Kirk Douglas or something, you know, all in <laughs> one sort of barrel-chested little guy. Now, and, I don't want to uh, seem petty, but one of the other reasons I, I finally decided to give the boot to uh, Larry Nemesack was I didn't like what he had to say in here about he just said the opposite of what you said. He says, here's another case when his subplot, Worf's Age of Ascension uh, ceremony on the holodeck, almost overshadows the main storyline. Blah, blah, blah. And he goes on and on about how much better story that was. I totally disagree. I, I totally with disagree, you. too. Yeah. Uh, and But do you remember the big hoopla about this episode when it was uh, being made and just before it aired? No. Uh, back in the day... Um, E.T. Entertainment Tonight used to really cover Next Gen. I don't know if you remember that or not. I mean, especially like when before Next Gen premiered, I mean, they followed like the making of the series as it was, you know, being filmed and the special effects and all that. And then when the show premiered, I mean, they, they were really for the longest time like Star Trek's best friend as far as promotion and stuff. Well, then when this episode was being made, there was a lot of hoopla because John Tesh actually is one of the Klingons in the Age of Ascension uh, sequence in this episode. And I don't know if you remembered that or not. So I always kind no. of felt like... I didn't that, notice him at all. Yeah, well, he's so heavily made up that you you wouldn't know him if you weren't looking for him. You know what I mean? Well, that torture stick he has is pretty much the equivalent of his New Age music that he records. <laughs> It's a very Tron episode. You got the guys with the sticks j zapping people on the side. You got, like, Riker and his dad fighting in their Trons. They're like a mixture. It's like a mixture of Tron and Luke fighting, uh, a, you know, a training on the Millennium Falcon in Star right. Wars where they put the blast shield down over his eyes. Now, but, had you uh, seen this one before? I don't remember ever seeing this one before. I may have, you know, it back in the day, but I don't remember it at all. Yeah, I was very ex uh, yeah, I was very excited. It was one that I that I hadn't seen, and whenever you, I, I I like when you meet the 
crew's families or new, yes. new characters and stuff. And 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 that guy was a classic. The guy who played Riker's dad is a classic Star Trek character actor. Like I said, he looks like Heston and Kirk Douglas mixed together. He looks like he, what you would expect his dad to be like. He reminds me a lot of Shatner, a whole lot of Shatner. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking that if they couldn't have gotten Shatner to play Riker's dad, this guy is a really good stand-in because you're right. He's very uh, Kirk Douglas, very uh, Charlton Heston. I, I, either one of those guys, I think, would have made a really good Riker's dad. But this guy, I, every time I watch this, I'm very impressed by the fact that I don't know if he's doing it consciously. I don't know if it's the, the actor's true body language and movements, but I think he actually moves a lot like Will Riker because there's a part where he's talking to either Deanna Troy or the doctor, I forget, and he walks out of sickbay. And if you watch him walk out and the way he, he goes around a corner, it's very much like when, when Jonathan Frakes has this thing where he's walking – he almost skulks when he walks. He yes. kind of walks with his head down and his, his shoulders hunched like, like he's trying to fit through a doorway or something. You know what I mean? He's got a very distinctive uh -huh. walk, especially when he's a little bit pissed off. And in that sequence, he's really mirroring um, Will Riker's body language. And again, I don't know if it was conscious or unconscious, but I love that because it's one of those things where if you ever watch family members and, and you, you can notice like with the kids, you know, you watch them and you can see where they've picked up the, the ticks of the parents. The I, I like that. Yeah. yeah and, it, and it adds a level of authenticity to this episode. I, I really, I got a kick out. I like this. His name is uh, Mitchell Ryan. And I met, had meant to look up his, uh, his resume to see what else he'd been in. I know I've seen him on other shows before, but I, it's escaping me at the moment what else he has done. But, uh, I liked him a lot, and I'd really like to find out if he's ever been in uh, any of the... Uh... See, in reference to Star Trek, I don't know if they call it Expanded Universe or what they call it, but you know what I mean, the, like the novels and comics and all that. Mm -hmm. I'm very curious if he's ever popped up again because the storyline with him in this is great. You know, I mean, he's got a connection to the Tholians, which is the episode that we're going to cover on uh, on the TOS this time around. Yeah, I was really excited when I saw that. I'm just like, how lucky is that that, you know, once again, we have something to tie. This is a really good one to tie together. You know, this isn't even one we have to strain our imagination for, you know. Right. One of the things I think I like the absolute best in this is that um, now I'm a big fan of the character of Dr. Pulaski anyway. But I think this episode really puts some meat on that character's bones, if you know what I mean. It, it finally gives her a backstory. It, it gives her a, a, a humanizing element that I think that she really needed beyond just being a female version of Dr. McCoy. Right, right. I totally buy her and, and uh, Kyle Riker being an old couple you know reunited i mean they really seem like they have on-screen chemistry and i like that I, I think i think they're solid in this episode hell i'm actually more interested in their story in the episode than than the other plots going on to be honest with you i i really dug the two of them oh, i i i like that they um i like that they gave her that that she had some sort of um romantic i like i like the way they dealt with the romantic backstory with her and him too because um it was very realistic you know she was very she was pretty much just like yeah that's right you know it happened and and this and so she felt like well 
Actually, she's she's a female McCoy. She feels pretty comfortable being perfectly frank almost any point in time. Right. But there was a there was definitely an intimacy between the two of them, you know. So that so when they had conversations, they were very meaningful conversa You know, they were able to to fill in a lot of storyline, and have these intense conversations and make it feel like it was you know it felt it felt real rather than something you know cooked up to be a dramatic romantic subplot or something it wasn't really a romantic subplot it was just sort of a little coloring that was added in here which they seem to like to do that in uh in i i have a feeling you know while roddenberry's involved so i have a feeling there was a you know a lot of uh a lot of uh, hanky panky in the next generation because almost everybody's got some sort of history with you know I mean, when, when they just when they set up the Enterprise, you know, you had the captain had probably slept with the doctor in the past. And um, right. And the first uh, first officer had slept with the ship's counselor at some point in time before that. And and then when you get into the general population, who knows what kind of uh, what kind of crossing over there's. Been. Oh, yeah. So that seems to be a very popular thing is like people meeting and mating in the past. Well, I mean, uh, Will Riker's really macking on that girl in the in the lounge scene in the, in the beginning of this. I get a kick mm-hmm. out of that every time because you can really see him working on that. But uh, I like the the scenes in the bar in this one quite a bit. And uh, and O'Brien is like in my mind, he's like a, a full official like member of the cast with this one because he's hanging out with Riker. You know, they're having a drink, and and uh, I really like that character anyway. But I got a kick yeah. out in this one too because he's kind of the scotty of the of the show he's in a kind lot of, of the scotty he looks like a gardener too man <laughs> I, I just want to say it right now he's got a little randy in him you know so <laughs> he does <laughs> well see i would have been totally fine with them jettisoning uh uh lavar burton as you know as geordie as the as the engineer and and plugging o'brien into that spot because later in ds9 that is the spot that he fills he basically becomes chief engineer right well you could have found another position for geordie anyway right it's like substitute photon torpedo or something like that yeah (laughs) um well, well speaking speaking of useless let's talk about the true like once again counselor troy she gets a lot of FaceTime in this, but I'm watching and she's doing some she's doing some of her counselor work, but I'm watching her and I'm like, you know, Betazoids are like known for their psychic powers and their empathy and all that. But she's not really doing anything that a uh any skilled counselor couldn't do, you know. Insightful. She's not pu- you know, pulling stuff out of anybody's subconscious or anything. She's uh, it, it, yeah, it's once again it's the writing of the character. You know, I don't I still think they don't quite know how to use her quote unquote powers. It's like why do you give her the power of being psychic and not really use it that much? <laughs> you know what I mean or or use it to a good a way to really work the storyline. She you know, she basically does you know, like any other counselor does, and like, tell me how you feel, and then, you know, gets the person to talk through something. Or you seem tense or something. Well, yeah, anybody can tell that when they walk through the room gritting <laughs> their teeth and, you know. So, yeah. There's a lot that could have been jettisoned from this show, but it wasn't really that distracting. You know, the, I mean, the subplot with Worf, I thought it was going somewhere else. I thought it was going to go into some sort of misunderstanding. I thought it... 
I pretty much figured it was more Worf being just grumpy that that he might lose um, Riker because they you know they seem to yeah. get along really well and yeah. he really likes Riker so you know he's a Klingon he like you know he has a you know Picard's his captain but Riker has more of the feel of like you know Worf's commander you know what they, I mean yeah, the guy they, he looks up to really look truly looks up to well not just that not just look up to him but you know he can actually kind of he could be buddies Right. I mean, he respects him. Well, as much, yeah, officer. But at the end of the day, they could hang out together, and you know, have a drink or shoot shit or or fight demons on the holodeck or whatever. He's not going to do that with Picard. He's a Klingon, but Klingons have friends, you know, and and they don't really admit it. So that's why, you know, and that's what. And they had the scene where he's like, you know, if you go, I want to go with you. And that would have explained his crabbiness. He's crabby because he might be losing his best friend, you know? And that would have been better, you know, to have them set up the ceremony. And he's like, that's really nice, guys. But, you know, you could have just bought me some, you know, Klingon ale. And uh, The next and- time, I already made a note for this. Next time, space Build-A-Bear. Enough said. Um, On the subject of the whole subplot with Worf, I would like to, with your permission, I would like to start a new segment for Star Trek Monthly Monday called What I Learned from Star Trek This Month. And what I learned from Star Trek this month was that space racism, you know, like real racism in real life is totally just not acceptable. It's wrong and you shouldn't do it. But apparently... There's not a goddamn thing wrong with space racism. Everybody's in on it. Um, I've just got to point out to Mr. LeVar Burton. Let's and, just and call it spacism, right? From, and and his on. character of, of racism has a line in this one that as much as I truly, truly love this episode, there's a line in here that every time I watch this episode, I want to throw something at the television. It's the line where they're trying to, they figured out what's wrong with Worf and uh and they're they're trying to figure out how they want to do something about it and wesley's describing the ceremony and all that and what has to happen and laforge says i'm not sure i want to invite a bunch of klingons on board think about that for a minute now what if what if the situation was reversed and this was geordie's problem and his friends are trying to come up with a solution to it and the solution is to have a bunch of, of of black people come on the ship. And then one of them says, well, I'm not sure I want a bunch of black people on board. It's, it's, it's Kwanzaa season. That's why he's so depressed that he has no one to celebrate Kwanzaa with. <laughs> now, I'm not trying to stir shit. I'm just saying. No, yeah, no, no. Racism is racism. You can't have it, you know. I mean, just because these are fictional people, Klingons in this case, doesn't make this shit any well, more acceptable, does well, it? Well, now this is an argument that's not a very good argument. It's oh. only this. My argument I'm going to make here only sort of stands up in a sort of flimsy, narrow context. But because this show has had many examples of that, we're only in the second season, and there's been many examples of somebody saying something about an alien race that's kind of sketchy. Right. That that <laughs> suppose, and it's not like. It's not like in the comics where it's some, like, crabby ensign or something, you know? It's, like, one of the main characters or one of the characters who are themselves a, a minority or an alien of some sort, you know, have said things like that. So, 
But in the case of the Klingons, it's sort of like with, uh, although, you know, they should be over it by now. I think maybe like you could see Klingon racism being one of the racisms that holds out the longest because the Klingons are just a pricky species to begin with. You know, now now I'm stereotyping them. But no, you but make a they good are. point. Data says the same They're thing. They're hard Earth, to get along episode. with. Yeah, you got to really work. Klingons have a, what does he call it? A, I'm trying to remember the exact word. Something about a blah, 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 biological or something. Natural, pre, natural that's the word he uses. They have a natural predis, predisposition to hostility. I'm thinking... That's that's stereotype. That w- that, but but it's 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 totally true with Kling- I mean, you could be like, okay, I'm gonna love Klingons and be nice to Klingons, and you could be nice to Klingons all you want, and we've seen it many times in here, you know. Um, it, 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 they they don't really feel any kind of uh, um, need to feel nice back, and when they do, it's this sort of grudging, like you're welcome. <laughs> You know, to, like the Fonz having to say "I'm sorry" or something, you just can't. It really hurts to, to, to utter those words. So, so maybe just because the Klingons are such a pricky, ugh, smelly, you know, known for being, you know, listen, listen to me, you know, it totally. But it's like they gave them a lot of like issues that are associated with various stereotypes. You know what I mean? So that so like so the fact that people are starting to like work with the Klingons, that shows how advanced I guess maybe I don't think they're doing it on purpose, but I guess it shows that yeah, we're not mankind's not quite there yet. Which is fine with me, but mankind sure does act smug like they are there. That's that's what gets me about Star Trek the Next Generation is you know, if they would admit more like yeah, you know, we're, we're we're we still got a long way to go as humanity. We're not that perfect thing yet, but we're trying. But no, they act as if they're you know they're there, especially in next gen. Yeah, they're very they're kind of sanctimonious about it sometimes. Yeah, Kirk never is... got smug about it. He would just give a speech every once in a while. <laughs> but those weren't very they weren't smug speeches, or they weren't you know. There's a lot of dismissive, like, ah, blah, 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 from especially from Picard about, you know, a variety of things that we've cataloged in the fa- past few years. And, um, yeah, so maybe if they ever set another Star Trek, you know, in the, in the next, you know, take another hundred-year hop, maybe we'll see the smugness gone. And, uh, you know, though, if humanity advances too much, it's going to be a pretty boring TV show. Right. Or at least it's going to have very boring characters. Well, you know, it, it, it creates the possibility that they're not what they think they are. Right. That maybe humanity got its act together in the sense that we don't, we no longer fight amongst ourselves. We no longer have a problem with people that aren't our skin color or things like that. But ultimately, all we did is what we all decided to get along and take that shit out into space. <laughs> right, <You know>? right. <laughs> so now, you know, white, you know, white Earthmen and black Earthmen get along just, hey, just no problem. Fine. We don't yeah, have a problem with each other. Men. It's like now we can go out there and, and we can all be prejudiced against the Klingon. I don't know. I mean, that's kind of an ugly concept in itself, but that kind of seems like that's what's happening here. Yeah, yeah. 
it's not happen. It's not happening on uh, like modern day Earth level where it's just like you know there's there or or, or you know or, or when I say modern day, I say the last hundred years of our history. You mm-hmm. know where there's like an anti clean. You know there's like members of the of the Federation who are like, yeah, you know I don't think it's such a good idea to be hanging around with the Klingons and and stuff like that. It's just this sort of like lingering lingering whiff of it and i personally i just don't think they're putting it in there on purpose i think it's just the writers not being aware that they were doing you know that they were doing it as much and plus star trek writers at that time are are trained to just think of the klingons as the bad the the greasy face bad guys from the original series so right yeah maybe that's coming out in the writing of next generation one thing I would have liked to have seen, because I, you know, in, in this one scene, you can kind of give Jordy a slight pass in the fact that there's not really anybody to call him out about it. Because you know, Wesley, I think, isn't really the person to to say to Jordy, "Geez, man, you shouldn't say that." And Data, while he is technically, you know, Jordy's superior officer, you know, he he's also his good friend, but he's also, I, I think, still being portrayed as naive enough that something mm-hmm. like that would slip right past just, just, us. I just think, went by, yeah. I, I think a better way to handle this is that either later in the episode or in, a, in another episode further down the road, something like this happens again and somebody like Riker steps up to say, hey, you need to stifle that shit, you know? Yeah. You know, because Kirk did that in the original series. You know, there was the episode, oh, what was it, Corbinite Maneuver, I think, where the guy has raci- ra- racial issues, well, no, it's not corporate maneuver. But anyway, he says to the guy, you know, if you have any prejudice, you know, you basically you leave that in your cabin. Don't bring that to my bridge or uh, something to that effect. You know, you know, scene I'm talking about. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember that. What is that? Balance of terror, I think. Balance of terror. Right. Yeah. Right. So, you know, he's acknowledging that, yeah, we may still have those foibles, but they don't have any place in the professional environment of the ship. I think that kind of needed to happen in this instance. And there wasn't anybody there to call Jordy on it, but we do see it come up again because I remember when we did our, our um, generations um, episode, you know, I pointed out the fact that Riker does the same damn thing in that, you know, where he says uh, just the way he says the word mm-hmm. Klingon and Worf is standing right yeah. there next yeah. to him when he does it too. He's like Klingons, like, you know, like I hate those assholes. You know, it's <laughs> like, hello dude, Klingon right here. But <laughs> it just makes me laugh, you know. Um, the hell else? You know, I know sometimes I feel like maybe I'm just too close to these things because sometimes things that are supposed to be funny and that other people find really funny just kind of get under my skin. I try to let this one go, but it does bug me. Just for, I, I, And I freely acknowledge that it's purely from a Trek nerdist perspective but the scene where uh data goes up to Worf in the bar and Worf screams right in his face tells him be gone and and screams at him data actually seems afraid of Worf I mean he's startled he takes a step back he goes to the bar he's very sheepish and and he and Jordy Lee and I I realize that it's intended to be comedic you know data could mop the floor with Worf I mean, we saw that in the episode with uh, uh, his brother. Um, 
Oh, Jesus, now I completely forgot well, his Well, he's name. not, you know, he, uh, maybe he's not shaken by the physical threat of it as his friend just, like, snapped at him, you know, out of nowhere when he, you know, <laughs> I'm just going over to help and he should be happy because, because that's what everybody else on the Enterprise would be like. Why, thank you, friend, but I just need a moment to myself. Okay, no problem, friend. And he would have gone away, but, you know, I mean, Worf goes, be gone with you. <laughs> you know, s sweat all over his face and stuff like that. So, yeah, it, and, yeah. And I get a little put off sometimes, like, in data showing too much human traits, but then I realize that's ah, probably progress, you know, he's got that sort of learning curve programmed in. And right. he's picking he's picking stuff up as it goes along, so he becomes more sophisticated, you know, by dribs and drabs as you go along. So he's learning he's like an autistic person where he's learning to pick you know, to mime and mimic what other people do and use it in the right context in the right place most of the time. <laughs> See, that's gonna come up in our discussion of the of the next episode so I'm, I'm actually kind of anxious to get to that so i'll wrap up my notes um i like the discussion of this character uh flaherty i think was the character's name that was going to be somebody or other on the on the ship that Riker was considering going to it said something about having this ability to instantly extrapolate communication and understand languages and all that that actually like a babel fish yeah well, it gets that get, idea gets recycled into the character of uh, of Hoshi for Enterprise, who uh, she was kind of the Deanna Troy of that series, in my opinion. But uh, but that was something that that she was able to do. But eventually, they turned that into her being basically responsible for inventing or the invention of the Universal, Universal translator, translator, which I thought was kind of a cool idea. Um, I love the scene between Picard and Riker where uh, Picard's trying to give him advice and you know tells him you know there's no, no substitute for holding the reins that's a great little acting moment there with uh, you know with uh, Patrick Stewart he's starting to soften a bit around the edges which is the thing right. I always felt this character needed the absolute most because there's a, a he makes an admission early in the episode where he says to Riker that he he feels that he was somewhat you know, the words he uses are somewhat miserly he was somewhat miserly in his um his praise or whatever of of Riker when he came on board the ship and all that and I thought you know what that's a perfect two word you know uh description of Picard from the first season you know is somewhat miserly because he is he's, yes. he's just a grumpy old bastard like Ebenezer Scrooge or something. Yes, exactly. And I like that we're finally seeing him starting to Humbug. mellow the hell out a little bit. Well, his it's funny because his little speech is kind of, uh, and and it's funny. It's sort of we're gonna get a little mirror of that because Kirk has a little his recorded speech in the original series that we did today, but that we're gonna do later today. But um, his speech is a little canned and stuff, and, and you can see Riker just going, uh-huh, like sort of like thinking to himself, this is really nice. It's exactly what <laughs> I was expecting him to say. You know, he's sort of like, uh-huh, 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 thank you, sir, you know, and then went to think about what, you know, you know, he was get he you could tell Riker was getting pissed off that everybody just assumed that that's what he was going to do, that right. he was going to take his own command. Now, I read somewhere today that this is the second time in the series that that Riker's been offered his own command. And I, I think there's a total of, like, 
three, either three or four times. I know at least one more time he's offered his own command. Do you remember what the first time was? Because I can't remember. Q? <laughs> Didn't Q offer him uh, like? No, no, I mean a, you know, a command of his own, yeah, of his own ship, though. And I, I, I'm stumped at the, at the moment. I can't. Oh, remember. he had command. Well, he had command of a Klingon ship for a little while. No, I mean where where Starfleet had had yeah. actually. No, you know, I don't. Him, yeah, yeah I, I, I don't remember. I think it has happened before, but I cannot remember when it was. But that's going to come up again. That's actually a big. Um, subplot in uh, best of both worlds so i know it comes up at least one more time that's pretty much all i got for this episode other than to, to reiterate that uh you know this is one of my absolute favorite episodes it really is i think it's very nicely uh, uh directed i think it's very nicely paced i, I really mm -hmm. like the the pacing in this episode and uh you know you had said something about uh you know you like to see you know the, the characters kind of um you know, you see a different side of them, like when family members come on board. And I like that, too, because I always liked, you know, the the, the original episode or the original series episode, you know, like when uh, uh, Sarek and Amanda came on the ship. I always thought that was a really, really solid episode because you got to see a, a completely different side of Spock. Mm -hmm. And then um, right after the Borg two-parter, um, there's one of my favorite episodes is one called Family which there's no threat there's no uh antagonist at all in that episode it's entirely story card with his family in france yeah. right yeah it's it's picard with his family in france and then uh Worf's human parents come onto the ship and they're very likable you know people and and you know it's more of a comedic uh, element with that but i really enjoy those kind of episodes because it does give you whole new insights into these people and uh, and i really enjoy that and um i'd be very curious to see if kyle you know the character of kyle Riker pops up in any of the other star trek stuff as far as the comics or or um, books or anything because uh, unless i'm forgetting something i don't think he ever pops up again in the series which is a shame because i would have liked to have seen that you know later on but uh I like that. And I'm really curious also if anybody has ever shaded in that Tholian conflict that's just briefly alluded to in this episode. That's something else that I think uh, bears uh, exploration if it hasn't been. There's but probably a novel about it somewhere. <laughs> probably. Probably. But that's all I got on this one. Uh, did you have anything else on Icarus Factor? Nope. I think I'm all icarus out. <laughs> I always like red Icarus. Red Icarus. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah, uh, Icarus whipped. <laughs> All right, so we're going to move on to the next episode, Pen Pal. Next time on Star Trek, The Next Generation. Captain, permission to beam down to Drama 4. Data struggles to rescue an alien friend from a dying planet. You cannot survive in this. While the crew conducts a dangerous experiment to stop its destruction. Data, you've got ten minutes, that's it. Firing torpedoes. Can they save the doomed planet before it's too late? What are we going to do? Find out on Star Trek The Next Generation. Again, I'm going to read this out of the nitpickers guide for Next Generation Trekkers because uh, Nemesak Nemesak. Done with you. Nemesak. <laughs> so the Enterprise enters the, uh, yeah, he enters this system that I can't pronounce. A series of planets known for their violent geothermic activity. 
these planets self-destruct through earthquakes and volcanoes. The Enterprise hopes to determine the reason through planetary mineral surveys. After discussing it with the senior, senior staff, Riker puts Wesley in charge of the surveys. Meanwhile, Data conducts his own experiments, returning, uh, retuning rather, retuning the sensor array to wavelengths normally ignored. He happens across a low-intensity radio frequency transmission. It is a little girl named Sarjenka uh, calling from Drama 4. Her plaintive question is, is anybody out there? And it causes Data to respond, yes. Although her race is not aware of interstellar life, Data maintains regular contact with Sarjenka, violating Starfleet regulations. After observing the Drama 4... Uh, that dream of four rather begins to experience the same seismic upheaval as the rest of the planets in the system data contacts Picard data wants the enterprise to intervene and help dream of four Picard calls a meeting of senior staff members in his quarters the staff quickly establishes the fact that dream of four constitutes a clear violation of the prime directive yet when Picard hears the little girl's pleading he decides to help <sighs> At the same time, Wesley's team reports the cause of the planet's distress. The planet is growing dilithium crystals in a uniquely aligned configuration. The crystals are converting the heat of the planet into mechanical motion, which translates into seismic upheaval. Later, the team suggests, suggests a solution. They propose using probes to burrow into the blah, 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 blah. They save the planet. And that's pretty much it's a kind of a long-winded one, but that's a, actually a really good synopsis for this episode. Um, what do you think of Pen Pals? Now, you said this was your first time seeing this one? Yes. Right? What did you think? I think Picard's a kinky, kinky monkey. He talks about, with their first little speech, he talks about uh, uh, spaces only animals can fill, and I really don't, that's too much information, John Luke. <laughs> and this is when I first, this is when I first realized, okay, you know, Wesley's mom is gone this season. And and I never really put any thought into who's ra you know who's in charge of raising Wesley, and it turns out it's Who the same cares? boring committee. <laughs> They're running Wesley the same way they they do a com the ship by committee in the you know in the ready room, just sort of like oh, I think Wesley should do this, and I think we should give Wesley some more inf you know responsibility, and it's just like oh God, man. N just yeah that's not the way i would want to be raised uh there were a lot um a lot of surprises in this i i would have you know they set it all up for like wesley's probe not to work what an interesting story it would have been if their probe didn't work or actually sped up the process and the planet that's got wiped I, out yeah that's what i was kind of thinking was going to happen too yeah. because because and you know and then all of a sudden you know wesley would have that you know then you could have an even more complex you know conversation with wesley about responsibility at the end of it <laughs> but it it was funny because it's like, yeah, let's give Wesley some responsibility and build his confidence and stuff. But at the same time, and he learned some lessons about authority, about like if you've got the authority and you tell someone to do something, nine times out of ten they'll go, okay, and do it, you know. And that was a nifty little scene where the guy who sort of balked it and argued against doing something and then he backed down and then came back and told him to do it and the guy was like, okay, instead of, you know, going, why should I listen to you or whatever. 
Listen here, you snot little twerp. I'll take right. you out in the parking lot and whoop your ass. Which is exactly what he was expecting. <laughs> exactly you know. what I would do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Scott, you would have some you would have some frowny faces next to your name on the Enterprise if you worked there. You know, <laughs> they'd have to go. He's twenty. Just remember, it's twentieth century, man. You gotta you gotta let him. But um. Yeah, you know, but okay, so he gets this this little esteem building thing, but at the at the end of the day, he ends up on his first assignment, he saves a world, you know, and and his all his decisions are good decisions. It's just like it's that could kind of make him a little megalomaniacal, don't you think, or maybe be a little too much, you, you know, know. You just brought up something I had never considered before, that this actually does play in much later in the series. I'm thinking this is like possibly the very last season, that there is an episode that kind of deals with this sort of thing where Wesley Crusher's now uh, you know, a young man, and if I'm remembering the episode properly, the the whole thing is uh, is he's come to find life kind of kind of a a drag because everything's just come natural to me to him because he's like this, you know, super genius and he's a super genius and yeah. he also let's let's be real he had the fast he's got the fast track, mm-hmm. you know I I mean I I I was very surprised there wasn't any like they didn't address any kind of resentment from the other people that he was a little younger than going oh yeah you know I heard Picard was Dorkin Wesley's mother and you know <laughs> and he's just some kid on the Enterprise and all of a sudden he's on the bridge and now he's our boss you know what's going on here you know right so but there's none of that you know because there it's the Enterprise are consummate professionals what uh, yeah. And so, so I mean, Wesley, it, it it does sort of just get handed off to him in the guise of being like, you know, let's let's give Wesley some responsibility and let him start learning the hard lessons. And I mean, oh, you know, no doubt about it, he gets a nice dose of pressure when you know they're when they have to come up with a plan, and 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 what hinges on that plan is the survival of a species that's been personified now that they've seen the little potato headed girl, you know, and what is it with the next generation is there's all these little potato head kids in this, uh, uh, all these little aliens are little potato heads with weird, with weird chiclet teeth. See, this is a weird one for me because this is an episode that, uh, I, I really enjoy. I got sucked right into it to such an extent that mm-hmm. I actually never made a single note, but I knew exactly what was going to be the bulk of my, you know, the, of what I wanted to talk about with this one. In my opinion, the, 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 the big thing that I take away from this one, that the 800 pound Magatu in the room here is, uh, the prime directive. Yeah. All right. And, and an even bigger question to me is how the hell do you get to be third in line of command of the enterprise being this, um, naive, and and to me, this comes off as an incredible inconsistency in the character of Data. You're either a walking encyclopedia or you're not. You're either, you know, you went through Starfleet Academy and you clearly understand your role and your responsibilities as third of commander of that ship, or you I, don't. How early you on do you think they it. teach you the prime directive? Exactly. It's and, Starfleet and, Academy. And I, you know... See, the, the problem is, again, is you know, this comes down in my mind to, is this a legitimate argument 
or is this Trek nerdism getting in the way of of enjoying an otherwise very well written episode? But I I think that I think I'm being fair in my criticism because this is supposed to be an integral part of the world of Star Trek. This isn't me just finding some nitpick somewhere. This is a pretty big issue here. Is that this is supposed to be the one line that that they cannot cross. So this is not something that Data's not aware of or not. I think well I think you could you could argue that he's is aware of the prime directive and maybe some wrinkle in his programming of that is kicking in that's going like this like is something the, uh, count this is counterintuitive. You, like one you, of the Asmovian laws or something like so, that. So, something's kicking off that that his creator put in to say Hey, look, you know, sometime you're going to run into, you know, so he's not like a Vulcan who would go, you know, it's sad that I've met this young girl, but the rule is the prime directive. So I'm going to have to let her go and just take the hit, you know, where Data doesn't want to see his friend die. He's developed a friendship and a loyalty and there, he might have some programming that says that, that kicks in and says under certain circumstances with certain triggers that you know maybe you might want to start second guessing what the what the rule book says and doing the right right wrong thing and and picard does a little like which is something i've seen a lot of times it's something we saw most recently when i went to visit you in florida and we went to the airport and the lady at the airport wasn't supposed to give me a certain piece of information but was able to communicate it to me anyway Right. With a nod and a wink. And that's what Picard does with his just like, you know, I mean, what, what, you know, Data, where are you? You know, Data, don't leave me alone or whatever. You know, he's just like, we've just heard a plea. It's gone from, you know, just communication to we've heard a plea from a life form. So now technically we can respond to it, you know, and he was pushing it with that decision. You know, what, what she said was, yeah, you could you could argue that in court that it was a plea. And I have a feeling that if it ever went to Starfleet court, they'd go, well, the long and the short of it is they saved the life of people, you know, or whatever. So we'll let it slide because obviously that precedent got set long ago in Kirk days. Right. But um, at what it precludes is there, I, I just don't think there should have been all this, all the anguishing that they do in this over the prime directive and arguing right. over it. I think, I think it's sh- all that stuff that I just discussed there should have been pretty much unspoken amongst all of them. You know, they studied their Kirk, you know, they know, okay, you know, we can, we can get around the prime directive this way. Especially when they have a good, when you have a good cause, you know, it's not a really gray area cause of like, ah, you know, do we want to, you know, at the end of, uh, uh, when we go to bed tonight, do we want to know that we saved the life of a billion people? Yes, we do. Almost anybody does and their superiors. Starfleet isn't really portrayed in a modern sort of authority sense as being like, Okay, you have Starfleet and you think of it on the upper levels there's there's a bit of corruption and bureaucracy and people who are sort of cold-hearted and stuff. You don't get that from Starfleet. Starfleet seems to be pretty open-minded, you know, and more about running the starships on time rather than, you know, they have their rules and stuff, 
but for the most part, they'll put up like you see it more in the original series where they'll have a trial, you know, and right. and, and they'll come at you hard and stuff. But that might all be just for show, you know, just to just to make it so the 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 um, atmosphere is if you're going to break the prime directive for something, you better make it good because you're going to have to go through, you know, a lot of scrutiny afterwards. But, uh, yeah, there was a lot of needless hand wringing and and, you know, tooth grinding over it and this with the characters. I just look at this as, you know, am I understanding the prime directive correctly? Because there's a great little moment in this where, you know, Picard is saying something about, you know, going to the assistance, but then, well, do you do the same thing if it's this scenario or do you do the same? When does it become unacceptable to interfere? And the examples he lays out just don't ring to me. Mm-hmm as being parallel with with the dilemma they have here the dilemma they have here is literally if they don't help this is the end of a species it's the end of a world the world's going to die and everything on it's going to be wiped out that seems very different from me than dropping down you know into times square and going well hi here we are spacemen and totally just destroying a culture you know potentially right. Or right. setting yourselves up as Unless gods by popping down their space Hitlers. <laughs> or, you know, or, or going down to a planet like we saw in Private Little War, where you're going to arm one side right. of a conflict, you know, in, right. in effect. A, a, you know, that's sort. I can understand. Their whole world's blowing up. They're not going to notice them shooting a couple. Exactly. And, and for Christ's sakes, you know, I don't know if, if Starfleet. I, I get the feeling Starfleet doesn't go over your record tapes unless you get audited. So, hey, at the end of the day, ah, you know, I don't know, a couple photon torpedoes went missing when you when you do um at the end of the five-year mission when you do inventory. You know, I don't know what happened to them, you know, and, you know. <laughs> and, and really, you could, you, you could do that whole drama. The only people that are going to really know that you just saved that world are the people on the bridge and in engineering, you know, that are working on all this stuff. The rest of the crew doesn't, you know, they're just day to day life. They don't, I wonder if that's goes on and stuff, you know, people just live in their life and like, meanwhile around them, you know, whole planets are being destroyed or saved and wormholes are opening up and stuff. And every once in a while they'll just lurch and be like, Oh, oh space little, uh, lurchy today. <laughs> meanwhile, there's like this big wormhole sucking them in. Well, you know, it, it also falls in that realm of, do I understand the mission of this starship correctly? Because I thought this was part of their job, is, you know, as well as exploration, is that they were out there to... General to, do-gooderism. Yeah, exactly. That if they come across, you know, a, a ship or a, or a people or a planet or something in distress, that they were kind of, you know... Goodwill and Kind of obligated to help, yeah. And yeah. just because this is a planet full of primitive screwheads, why wouldn't you help them out? If you can do it in such a way that they'll never know that forces beyond the natural, you know, assisted the, their, you know, their fate at some point. Well, now, that's I why, that's that why becomes... I was scandalized because Data was talking to the girl and then brought her aboard the ship. But right. at the same time, it turns out it's really easy just to wipe out her memory, you know, 
uh, gray alien style. So, mm-hmm. you know, why, why, why the anguish over it then? When you know, why all the like, <laughs> you know, when they were walking around with the ship of like, oh god, we got an alien on here that's not sp- prime directive, prime directive. You know what? Come on, man, just zap her memory. You know, give her the old uh, Men in Black flash, and off she goes. You know, I'm. Yeah, it's, I mean, the time for anguishing over that stuff was a long time ago in Star Trek right. continuity. That stuff's, all that stuff's out the window. It's just more of their space hypocrisy. This is an episode that I... I like this episode, by the I way. Do, do, I do, too. I enjoy this episode despite the episode, if you know what I mean, because there's a lot of things in this episode well, the relationship that have been able with, to get away with. With the girl and Data is, is, is actually very touching. It is. It's, it's Even really though when funny. I first heard her voice, it was just like, oh, God, it's so sing-songy, cartoony, little girl voice and stuff. But it's it's cheesy, but when she was, like, grabbing his hand and stuff and, like, acting like a little real kid where she, you know, she was hiding behind Data when any other people were around and Right. You know, don't leave me alone here, and that that was that was just really that that was played really well. But there's there's just a number of things in this episode that they shouldn't have been able to get away with, and I, I guess it's a testament to how good the and engaging the episode is that they do get away with them to a degree. Is that for one, there's a part that's always irritated the hell out of me, where they're having the conference in Picard's quarters. Now I realize that evidently I don't remember everybody anybody ever actually saying it, but evidently the ranks are dropped while they're having this little meeting. But there's a moment where uh, Jordy actually snaps at Riker, and he says it in such a way and in such a tone of voice that I'm thinking that's clear insubordination. Yeah. You really don't talk to a commanding officer that way, and he you doesn't have to be even. You actually have to be even extra careful of that when you have the relationship that he and Jordy has yeah. to it, keep the appearance of favoritism and to preserve Riker's yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and preserve Riker's authority. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And, and yeah, I, that's always made me uncomfortable. You know, of course, I already touched on the whole thing with with data, even, you know, getting into this situation in the first place. But the one that really annoys the hell out of me there's a great moment a really great moment where they've run these circles around each other in the conversation and there's kind of a lull and data just says so that's it we're just we're we're going to let her die and picard orders him to sever the communication so he goes over to the wall and then he pipes in the, the communication from the girl, which seems like, again, clear insubordination. He's not doing what he's been told to do. But then just hearing that girl talk and hear her plea, Picard has this little moment where he just goes, ah, no data. I hate that part because all of a sudden, just because he's heard this, this girl's voice, now there's, there's a face attached to this whole thing. Now they're going to change their mind and do something. That makes these people look incredibly bad and callous, in my opinion. And shallow. Shallow. They were going to let her die until Data put a face on this situation. That just seems wrong to me. You see, uh, what I think... Why I think it didn't play well is there was a little bit of that. There was that involved in it. But there was also the, like... 
I mean, I got the subtext that, that, that Picard really did actually want to help them, but, you know, but the Prime Directive. And he should have been more pleased when he heard the plea. But at the same time, there was an element of like, oh, well, this makes the whole situation more complicated now, you know. Now we now instead of just like getting the hell out of here before the planets explode or whatever or our own problems, now we have to deal now we have to deal with this problem because now it's become personal. Now we've received a plea. And really what kind of attitude is that? It's like, uh, gotta save another planet. Well, you uh, know, that, this, that won't look good on my resume. We have seen time and time again this series, especially this version of Star Trek. Stand on a soapbox and, and deliver a lot of flowery speeches, some of which are really good and some of which are just, you know, grown worthy. If there was ever a time for Picard to get up on his soapbox and deliver, a, hopefully, an inspirational speech, now is the time. And he, right. and he's in my opinion, he kind of dro he drops the ball because there was what was really needed to, to sell this scene for me was a moment where. Yeah, there's a lot of wringing of hands and everything like that, but Picard to me never seems conflicted enough. He never really strikes me as, gee, Data, I'd really like to help your friend out, but you know, I'm, I'm kind of hamstrung by this prime director. He, he seems to me like he's firmly on the side of, you know what, there's the prime directive, we can't violate it, end of story, you know, this little girl's got to die. And, it, and then it's the moment with he he actually hears her all of a sudden like a light switch his opinions change and it's like it doesn't work that way what really needed to happen was he needed to clarify his position this is why the prime directive exists this is why we don't cross that line i'm really sorry about this little girl but if we compromise our position this time this is what could he needed to explain yeah, this it could better. have been a and, very this could have been an episode with two really complex stories about the hard decisions right of doing what you're supposed to do with Wesley uh, if, uh, especially if the planet had gotten destroyed you know where they like we have to sit back and not do that well it wouldn't have, then they wouldn't have even attempted so Wesley wouldn't have been but they could have had a subplot where Wesley figured out a way to fix a planet but then he couldn't use it you know or something like that it could have been a lot of rip it could have been a lot more complex yeah maybe these days it would have been but that's what we gripe about a lot of times is going into the dark you know un or you know overly going into the dark places so this eventually went into happy places you know with both of them wesley saved the day and data say you know with a bittersweet edge where she won't remember data even so, it worked. You know, it's only a 48-minute-long show, so they would have had to destroy the planet halfway through with my scenario. It but worked. I, I, I really, I really like the relationship between Data and the little girl. It was, it was, it was just, it was, a, it was a little manipulative, but it worked. You know, it, it, it captured it. I, I, the makeup-wise, I really question what the genetic advantage of having like super long pinky fingers is for for doing anything. You, you can really dig out a crusty good that way. <laughs> I bet you she could. But that was that you know and uh for some reason on Star Trek the Next Generation they love making alien children with those long, you know, John Merrick foreheads. 
Rocky. <laughs> she was really a little Rocky. It was like the oh, part of the Rocky Denizens or whatever. I wish she had screamed, I am not an animal, yeah. just one time. I would have been so happy. <laughs> but uh, I'm really, really curious what you guys, the listeners, think of this episode. Uh, write in, let us know. Um, I, I really, really do want to know because uh, I... Like I say, I really dig this episode. I really enjoy it, but it's almost despite the episode that I enjoy it because I have major problems with it. Maybe I'm just not understanding the whole Prime Directive thing. I think other than being accused of playing God, I don't see what the big hang-up is with, with helping these people when they they clearly... It's, it's give them help or watch them just perish. I, I, I don't understand what the hang-up here is. Other than, you know, you're afraid that in a million years they're going to be, you know, the next race of, be jerks, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, Romulans or space Hitlers or something. But, you know, I mean, by that point, you're you're dead and buried in dust. So what what the hell difference does it make? Save the little girl. I don't know. That's how I feel about it. But yeah, I think that's uh, what do you think? Are we about wrapped up for this time. I think we said about all we need to say about these two episodes. Yep. Next time. Man, I am excited about next time because next time we have an episode. I could be wrong, but I don't think you've ever seen it. And it's a solid one. Again, one of the best episodes of the entire series, in my opinion, called Q Who. Q not only comes back, but we Q get the a very... <laughs> Q hears a who. We also get the very first appearance of the Borg. Oh. And it's a damn good episode. Guinan's back. And uh, and the second episode uh, isn't bad either. It's uh, um, God, what's the name of it? Samaritan Snare, which uh, it's a, it's a decent episode. But uh, yeah, Q Who next time around. Q <laughs> Who. Do you ever find yourself going to Amazon.com and uh, buying some record or movie or some stupid thing that two true freaks have been talking about so that you can catch up on it or you've been reminded of it or something? Well, now, how about this? Instead of going to Amazon.com, go to twotruefreaks.libson.com and follow our link to Amazon.com. When you do that, if you buy something over at Amazon, we get a little cut out of it which is awesome because we love money and it won't cost you a thing. You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today.
Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Test, test, say duh. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs>